You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Go through, go through. Across the internet, professional and semi-professional video gamers post live videos of their gameplay. Because gaming is a spectator sport. And the biggest platform where this sport gets watched is Twitch. Oh my god! Twitch is huge. In July, viewers from around the world watch one and a half billion hours of content there. And a couple months ago, a new group of streamers became really active on the platform. Oh no, I had to reload. They're employed by the U.S. military. These are people that have been assessed by the military to be good at video games, and they are playing video games online for an audience, interacting with that audience as part of their day job. Matthew Galt has been writing about the military in Twitch for Vice. I'm a contributing editor at Vice Motherboard, where I cover the intersection of pop culture, tech, and the military. Uh, That is uh, quite a mandate, Matthew. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm all over the place. Matthew says that the military's presence on Twitch wasn't that surprising to him. But what did surprise him was how the internet received these government-funded gamers. This is not a space that they are used to operating in. They do not understand it, and they're going to get themselves in trouble. Today on the show, what happened when the military started paying people to play video games on Twitch? And why they're there to begin with? I'm Ariel Zimros. This is Reset. The Army, Navy, and Air Force all have esports teams, serious gaming teams that compete in tournaments. And these days, you can find members of those military esports teams on Twitch playing first person shooters like Call of Duty Warzone. Oh, don't fuck out the drop on Jaeger, but couldn't And typically what it looks like is, you know, the video game is dominating the screen. There's a chat room that runs on the side and people can ask you questions or like joke around with you. Oh, mow down. That was close. The military version of this is people in the military, usually in a a uniform. And when I say uniform, I mean an esports uniform. Okay. That looks more like like an athletic jersey that's branded as uh, the army or the navy. And they're playing the game uh, and talking to people that come into the room. Um, And people ask them questions about the Navy or Mm -hmm. the Army and like what life is like there. And they talk about it. It's like office hours for the military, but over video games. Right, exactly. Gamers forever have been sitting on a couch with each other, like playing video games and like talking and and hanging out. Wild Wolf. Bib, your girlfriend. Twitch is a way to, you know, do that on a worldwide scale, right? And so what the military is hoping is that they can get into that space too and like start a conversation with potential recruits. 
To understand how we got here, Matthew says you have to go back in time. We want to go back to like 2018. So in 2018, the military has a recruitment problem. It's struggling to reach the right audience because they're putting their money in the wrong place. They've been spending money on television for years, tens of millions of dollars, and it's not working. It's not getting them the same amount of return as it used to. Young people aren't watching television at the rates that they used to be. Now, I'm sure you've already reached this conclusion, but the young people, they're on the internet watching YouTube and Twitch. So the military changes tactics. The Navy has been the most transparent about this, so we're going to use their figures to illustrate the change in strategy. In 2017, the Navy spent almost half of its advertising budget on TV ads. But by 2020, 97% of the Navy's advertising budget was set aside for online advertising. So they've taken all the money that they were spending on television ads and like sporting events, and they're reinvesting that into digital spaces. Hello, it's me, William. The Navy hires YouTubers like William Osman to make videos set on naval bases. The Navy has challenged me to an egg drop. He's known for making wacky engineering videos like Jackass meets Mythbusters. In one video, Osman tours around a naval base. They have airplanes and helicopters. They have a bowling alley. They have a car wash. Turn this out, please. He's quite the contrast to the pair of really stiff Navy cadets showing him around. And here's another way the Navy starts putting money and energy into digital spaces. It starts investing in esports teams. And so do other branches of the military. Here's a promo for the Army's team, which formed in 2019. It sounds too good to be true, but yes, the Army has created an esports team and is actively looking for soldiers to wear the black and gold as competitive gamers. Tryouts for the team were held this year, and members of the team will specialize in certain games, either as individual players or part of multiplayer squads. Before the pandemic, the military's esports teams would put on athletic esports uniforms and compete in in person tournaments or go to gaming conferences. But when large events shut down, they started streaming their gameplay online. For a while, this entire thing, this military gaming program, seemed to fly under the radar. The streams only got a couple dozen viewers at a time. But then, as so often happens on the internet, with a single viral post, Everything changed. In a tweet, the Army drew attention to its jarring presence in the online world. The Army Esports Twitter account tweets out UWU. UWU, a symbol made with a series of letters. Capital U, little w, capital U. It looks like a cute little anime style face. Very internet. Um, And for whatever reason, that particular tweet, like all of the eyes on the internet like locked onto it. And people were like, the U.S. Army has an esports team? Wait, the Navy has an esports team? They have Discord servers? Why are they doing this cute emoji? What's going on? For a lot of people, it was extremely weird to see an Army Twitter account acting like an anime fan. And so the gaming community came together and had an intentional and measured discussion in the comments about how to best respond to this strange occurrence. What? No, of course not. People started trolling the military. Hey, gamers. Today we're going to be doing the uh, 
The Ban present speedrun on a U.S. Army esports Discord server. The esports teams have these chat rooms on the app Discord where anyone can join to talk about the military and gaming. So people do, and they start asking questions. So they would kind of go into their chat rooms and bring up U.S. war crimes. They would ask about Eddie Gallagher, who's the Navy SEAL that, uh, who was turned in uh, by his uh, fellow Navy SEALs for alleged war crimes and Trump later pardoned. Just kind of asking really unpleasant questions about the military. The service members moderating these chat rooms responded in a pretty predictable way by banning the people who were messing with them. So naturally, the trolls made a game out of it. They do speed runs in these Army and Navy Discord channels to see how quickly they can get banned from the channel for talking about things that the military doesn't want to talk about, mm. like American war crimes. What do I want to say that's going to piss a moderator off? Or what am I going to say to make the United States sound like a shithole? People end up bragging about this on the internet. They post videos of their quickest times, meaning how fast they got banned. I'm going to get a timer going. This is just for my reference. I'm going to put one in post-production. Three, two, one, go. In this video, it takes a little over 16 seconds. Oh, yeah, 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 dude, yeah. Now... I've been referring to what these people are doing as a form of trolling, and it is, in the sense that they're doing everything they can to annoy and piss off the military. But this could also be seen as a form of online activism, where some people are actively trying to derail the military's recruitment efforts. And one guy in particular got a lot of attention for this. There's a gentleman named Jordan Uhl, who is a progressive activist who's worked for Media Matters, and he also happens to be a gamer and a Twitch streamer. Um, and he sees these videos of the speedruns, and, and then he goes to the Twitch chats and starts doing the same thing. And they very quickly ban him. And that's when everyone starts to kind of flood into these spaces and starts to join Ool and others. And they start asking unpleasant questions and seeing like how how hard it is to get banned from you know Twitch. And it turns out it's pretty easy. When you were watching these videos, what what was coming to mind as you were watching people get banned from these channels? Uh, I have a different perspective, I think, than a lot of people because I, I was thinking about like, oh no, the military has no idea what they've gotten themselves into. <laughs> uh, they, they have been operating um, in a place where most of the American public has given them deference for uh, 20 years. Right. Um, and things are changing and have changed. And this is not a space that they are, are used to operating in. They do not understand it. And they're going to get themselves in trouble. It was actually double trouble. The first kind of trouble they got into was with a set of lawyers at Columbia University. They saw the military banning people from their chat rooms as a form of government censorship. So they threatened to sue. Trouble number two came from Congress. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I'd like to uh, present this amendment by opening with the stance of the U.S. Marine Corps, which is that war is not a game. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York proposed a change to the government's annual spending bill. The amendment would block funding for the military's Twitch and esports programs. Her concern was that by streaming on Twitch, the military is advertising itself to kids. Children as young as 13 and oftentimes as young as 12 are targeted for recruitment forms uh, that, that can be filled online. AOC's amendment failed in the House. Still, 
more than 100 representatives voted in favor of it. And I'll be honest, I did not expect 126 people to vote for it. Um, she got some, some surprising support for it. That was very interesting to me. Matthew has covered the military for a while, and he says he hasn't seen its recruitment efforts scrutinized so harshly since before 9-11. Like, this has been fascinating to me because I feel like I'm watching a renegotiation of how the military is going to act in public spaces that has that I haven't seen, I don't think, in my lifetime. The military's use of Twitch may have become a flashpoint online and even in Congress, but this isn't the first time it's used video games to recruit. That's after the break. This is Reset. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Eurovision is here. This year's contest gets underway this week in Malmö, Sweden. But this year's contest comes with a dose of controversy. I'll give you one guess as to what people are mad about. Yes, correct. It's that. Organizers of the Eurovision Song Contest say they are assessing whether Israel's entry breaks the rules on political neutrality. I think it's a shame. I think there is no way that that Israel should be able to participate in Pro Palestinian protesters are taking to the Swedish streets. More than a thousand Swedish artists, including Robin, have called for an Israel ban. Some European politicians are joining them. Charlie Harding from Switched On Pop joins us this week on Today Explained to help us figure out if Europe can sing its way out of this situation. wasn't the first time the military struggled to find recruits. The army, in particular, suffered from an image problem in the 90s. Studies show that around that time, it had one of the worst reputations in the military because army work was thought of as low-tech, sweaty grunt work. So much so that by 1999, recruitment was at a 30-year low. At the time, an economist with the Army's Office of Economic and Manpower Analysis named Casey Wardinsky started to think about how to solve the recruitment problem. Here's a recent clip of Wardinsky talking about Army recruiting during the COVID-19 pandemic. Hi, I wanted to reach out while we're doing a little social distancing here uh, to talk to folks across the Army 
and around America about an opportunity to join our great service. So back in the 90s, he was also doing recruitment problem solving. So he was thinking of it from an economic perspective. He's a um, devotee of behavioral economics, why people make the economic choices they do. That's Corey Mead. He's an assistant professor of English at Baruch College in New York. He spent time interviewing Casey Wardinsky for a book about how the military uses video games. And this is the story Wardinsky, the Army economist, told Corey Mead about how he came up with a solution. It starts with a trip to Best Buy with his kids. Uh, they were in the video game aisle, and as he browsed the aisle, he noticed that at least half of all the games available for sale were some type of military game. Games about the army. Games about ancient Roman legions. Games about futuristic military combat. So his first takeaway as a lifetime military guy was just sort of astonishment at the number and the variety of military-type video games that were available for sale. But then he thought... What if the army made its own video game? He figured there might be a lot of advantages to this approach. You could target it directly at kids who are 12 to 13 years old before they've started to think about possible career options. Because in his view, once, once they're 17, which is the legal age for recruitment, it's too late. They, are, they already have fixed ideas about what they want to do in life, or they have fixed ideas about the military. So if you could get a game directly to kids who are 12 or 13, you'd be able to be in what he calls their decision space for when they start thinking about options. So Casey called up an outside game developer, and they got to work. The end result was a game called America's Army. The gameplay in America's Army is very similar to, to all the most popular first-person shooter war games, which is that you're in a variety of contemporary settings, usually in some sort of urban environment um, where there's an insurgency going on. The difference with America's Army, and this was the key thing, was that before you do um, actually get to do the gameplay, you have to do training sessions. Good morning, soldier, and welcome to the M16 qualification range. Today's task is to qualify with the M16A2 rifle. And as part of that training session, there's the game gives you options for playing in a greater variety of roles than most first-person shooter video games. I am the 18 Echo Special Forces Communication Sergeant. My specialty is Special Forces Engineer. I am the Special Forces Weapons Sergeant, or 18 Bravo, a weapons specialist. Part of that was Casey's whole point was to try to let people know that there are like 200 different career options in the Army. It's not just, you know, foot soldier necessarily. There's medic, there's all kinds of other things. So that focus on forcing people to train and they're getting delivered information about the Army as they train before they get to the good stuff, the fun stuff, is kind of what set it apart. The best part for gamers? Oh, America's Army is free. That's the whole point of it. Really? Yeah. That's why people would be willing to put up with the training aspect of it, because they can get a high-quality, top-rated game for free. Is there something ethically suspect about using games to recruit kids like that and to sort of indoctrinate them into the army? Like, Well, any kind of. It's, it's not even the fact of a game. It's like the direct recruitment of 12- and 13-year-olds um, is, of course, like ethically incredibly suspect. Um Casey's response to that is that he views soldiering as an honorable profession um, and nothing to be ashamed about. So, of course, you want to put it in the headspace of 12 and 13-year-olds, just like you would want to put being a doctor or being a lawyer. He's been in the Army for his life. His kids have been in the Army. So, so for him, it's like, yeah, of course I want to get that in people's faces. The game development process took a couple years. But in 2002, America's Army was released. The game? 
was really popular. Yeah, as as a video game, the game America's Army was hugely successful. For for several years, it was one of the top 10 online games in the world. <laughs> um, it's been a little more difficult to quantify what its success rate was as a recruitment tool because there aren't that many people. First of all, there haven't been studies so much, but there also aren't that many people who would just sit there and say, yes, I definitely joined the military because I played a video game. Um, right. But the number of people who have joined the military who have played America's Army, the percentage for several years was something like 60 to 75 percent. So, so wow. Yeah. That's huge. It's huge. Absolutely. So a lot of people who are in the military of a certain age played this video game that was made by the Army. Exactly. In the years that followed, the Army continued to use games, not just for recruitment, but for training. It's even used video games to treat PTSD. Uh, and specifically what you do with that is you you sit with a therapist and they program, actually using America's Army, some of the um, some of the graphics, program the scenario that's traumatizing you into the game. Um, and over the course of weeks of sessions with your therapists, you go through that scenario in the game and you have headphones on and you're holding a mock weapon or whatever. And there's there's ways to, over the course of the weeks, gradually increase the realism so that you're you're essentially like re-experiencing that trauma while the therapist is guiding you. And ideally so it's if, like exposure therapy. Yeah, it's 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 intensive level exposure therapy. And you know, honestly, as far as that goes, there have been some real success stories. All that to say that for a not insignificant portion of the military, playing video games or using simulators is part of the job. So from the military's perspective, the esports teams and Twitch streams make a lot of practical sense. It's not just about hitting that younger age demographic, but it's also about the kind of recruits that the military wants now. That's Matthew Galt, who we heard from earlier in the episode. Here he is reading from an unclassified Navy memo about the Twitch streaming program. Quote, gamers utilize skills every day while they compete, sometimes without even realizing it. Detail-oriented and working towards long-term goals, problem solvers under time pressures, perseverance in the face of frustration and roadblocks. These are the mm-hmm. same skill sets used in fields in nuclear engineering, aviation, special warfare, cryptology, and counterintelligence. Wow. Yeah, they, like, they, they perceive gamers as having skill sets that they want to cultivate. Military budgets have swelled. Uh, but the amount of personnel in the military has actually shrunk quite a bit in the last like 30 years. Um, they're doing more with less people and they're relying increasingly on technology. The money is going to these large weapon systems. They're building drones, they're building F-35s, you know, they're building uh, surveillance equipment, things like that. And you need people with technical skills and know-how people they feel that they can train into those spaces. Right. Uh, the problem is, part of the problem is like the people with those technical skills don't necessarily want to join the military, right? Mm. Why, why join the military when I can go apply at Google or, you know, any number of other tech companies and make more money? As for Casey Wardinsky, he ended up leaving the military for a while and becoming a public school superintendent in 2011. But then he went back joining the Pentagon. And he is now the Assistant Secretary of Manpower and Reserve Affairs for the Army, which means that he is the top Army official in charge of recruitment. 
So he's he went back and he's he's back recruiting people to the military. He went back, but instead of being an economist who was trying to push this one game on his own, he's the number one guy who's in charge of all recruitment. Yeah. That's a wrap on Reset. This was our final show. Thank you for going on this journey with me. For close to a year, we brought you stories about things like big tech messing with our right to privacy or artificial intelligence that aims to make us better writers or teach us about safer sex or new methods to treat rare diseases and even the history of tear gas. And even though we kind of made a weird show, you went there with us and you didn't miss a beat. Hearing from you since we announced the end of the show has been really heartwarming and encouraging. I wanted this show to have an impact, and those messages you have sent me have made it clear that we did that. Thank you for believing in us. Now for the credits. This is kind of hard because I'm really going to miss these people. Will Reed and Skylar Swenson produced the show. Amy Drovzowska is our editor. Our audio engineer is Eric Gomez. Golda Arthur is our guiding light and fearless leader. She's also the executive producer of Reset. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our lovely theme music and we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Okay, now, one last time. I'm Ariel Duemros, but you don't have to say it that way. Do you know how to say my name? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because these points are more for you than for me. Yeah. Hey, it's Peter. I'm here with Ariel Zuemros. Did I get it right? No, I didn't. Ariel Zuemros. Ariel Zuem, am I still fucking it up? No, you just. Oh yeah, yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, can I'm just puzzling over this pronunciation guide to your name that I've been. <laughs> can, can can you just say it? I feel like that would be easier. Duhem Ross, Duhem Ross, Duhem Duhem Ross. All right. Ariel. Was that still problematic? Ariel Duhem Ross. Ariel. Ariel. Like you're like you're from New Jersey. Hey, it's Ezra Klein. I'm here with Ariel Zuham Ross, uh, host of the new Vox. Uh, wait, I want to see how we're saying this. Okay, so while we're doing that, it's Ariel. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Not Ariel. I don't do, she does that. She does something like funny with the beginning of Zuham. I mean, by funny, I mean like actually saying it correctly. That's how I say my friend's name. So I'm just going to, so don't fuck me over. Fuck me up, Art. Hi, it's Nate. And I'm here with Ariel Duzem Ross. Zuham. Let me do it one more time. Take six. No, 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 no. I'm going to do this from, this is going to, this is going to be gold. Ariel. Ariel. Thank you. And how about the, the second? Oh, second Let's just stitch it together. Okay. Ariel Zuem Ross. Ariel Zuem Ross. Yes. The- I don't know. It's, I don't know if anybody's going to get this one. <laughs> one day. Later, nerds. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, 
But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.